This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right, good morning, everyone. I think we're ready to start here. The seminar is Soul Winning 201. So if you wanted Gardening 101 or some other kind of something or the other, you're in the wrong room, you want to relocate. But if you wanted to Soul Winning 201, you're here. And we're going to dive in in just a minute. Um, the only slide, one of the things GYC did before this uh, seminar, this conference, was to take our sermon notes, which I did not have ready when they uploaded them. So I've uploaded my own. They're not handing out paper notes here, and so they've put everything into uh, electronic documents. So I've put it up on, if you want to take your smart device, whatever you have, and put that in, you can get the notes for this presentation. And I'll upload each one that we do in the series, and I'll introduce the series to you in just a moment. I want to start with a word of prayer. And then the title of our first session here is When evangelism doesn't work. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me. I want to kneel and ask God to bless our time here this morning. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your love and your goodness to us and the privilege we have of knowing you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Father, a privilege that many don't have. And so I pray here this morning as we reflect upon the commission of Christ to us and how we can be more effective in sharing him with others. I pray you would bless our time in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. All right, now a little bit of an introduction here. I want to talk uh, briefly, uh, introduce myself. My name is Pastor Mark Howard. I am a pastor in the Michigan Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. I pastor the Cedar Lake Church there. In fact, my assistant pastor is in the back, Daniel Jean-Francois. We also work together in our conference's training school called Emmanuel Institute, uh, which I'll mention in a moment. Now, personally, I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and uh, I lived with my mother. My mother and father were divorced fairly early in my life, about six years old. My mother remarried, and my mother, I lived with my mother and my stepfather, they ended up leaving the Seventh-day Adventist Church during the Desmond Ford crisis. Some of you may be old enough to remember it. Others may have read about it somewhere. But we left the church when I was about 14 years old. And it wasn't until I was about 26 years old that the Lord, through a number of uh, really miraculous circumstances, was able to reach me and bring me back to himself. And I praise his name for that. And uh, I was baptized at the age of 27. And uh, that was nearly 24 years ago. I turned 50 this year. Never thought I'd see 50. But I'm there. And you'll be there, too, if you don't pay close attention to what we're talking about today. As I mentioned, if you heard last night in my 30 seconds that they gave me, my generation has failed and subsequent generations or previous generations have failed in finishing the work that the Lord Jesus gave us to do. And we've been told in inspiration that we shouldn't still be here on this planet. And I know that's a, that that's a, gives a little bit of a quandary for some people. They're like, well, if we wouldn't have been here and if we would have gone back, you know, going to heaven shortly after 1844, I might never have been born. And we, people conjecture all these things. But the reality is, this is the generation that can see the Lord Jesus come. But we're not going to see the Lord Jesus come unless we each play our part. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this seminar. Now, it was 24 years ago that I was baptized. I've been in pastoral ministry and evangelism for 16 years at the Emmanuel Institute. In fact, we're going to give you a little card for some of the programs we offer on your way out. Uh, in addition to that, uh, Audioverse Advance. We've been working with Audioverse Advance, and maybe some of you have seen that, to do an online training program that is a little more extensive than what we're doing here. Uh, and the pastors that we have working with us, Pastor Cameron DeVage is right down the hall, and we work together at Emmanuel, and we work together in uh, our conference, and I'll touch on that in just a moment. Um, Pastor Wes Peppers, probably you're familiar with Pastor Wes, maybe not. Uh, we've worked together in evangelism and in training. Uh, Daniel Jean-Francois works with me. My brother Jim Howard works with me in Emmanuel Institute. 
all of us are still pastors in the field. And I don't say that to, to, to denigrate anybody, but I want to say this. There's a lot of theories that you're going to hear when you get to talking about evangelism and evangelistic methods. And I'm going to tell you, I hear and read about a lot of theories from people who haven't been in the work a long time, if ever. Sometimes it seems the people who have the most to say about evangelism are the people who are least active in it. Now, I'm just going to tell you that what I'm sharing with you is, is what is working for us in our ministry and has been for 16 years of my ministry and the other pastors that I work with. I'm not saying it's the only thing, but uh, the tips that I give you today are not going to be just theory. And throughout this week... Now, Emanuel Institute, as I mentioned, is a training school for the Michigan Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, started in 2009, our focus is on training lay people, that is, the church members, because we're told an inspiration that this work will never be finished by the pastors. And there's a, there's a lot of clamoring today about how we need more pastors in the church. Folks, we don't need more pastors. We need more active lay people. We need more active lay people who know how to win souls or are willing, let me put it this way, because if I say know how to win souls, you may say, well, that's not me, who are willing to labor for souls for Christ. Um, and I work, one of the things that I do with Emmanuel Institute and with our conferences, we have a um, team that we've dubbed the Training Center Church Team, and one of the resources we put out that you may have seen, it was distributed last year at the GYC, is this, the Discipleship Handbook. How many of you have seen the Discipleship Handbook or know what I'm talking about? Okay, I'm going to show you one of those. I should have brought one with me this morning. We're going to have some available here at GYC. You can order them. This is one of the best resources on, on discipleship uh, in the church. And I, and I know that sounds biased, but I'm going to tell you there's nothing like it. There's a lot of things on discipleship, but not like this. And I'll share that resource with you a little bit later. But what we are working on in training center churches is once again trying to figure how to get our churches revived, not just an individual here and there, but how to see the work move forward because we want to see Jesus come in this generation. I think I'm pretty confident that we share that desire. Amen? And so with that introduction, uh, I want to tell you about this seminar. This is a six-part seminar. This is not six unrelated messages, but the seminar is entitled Soul Winning 201, The Next Level, and what I mean by that is I've been in training, as I mentioned, for 16 years. I've trained my local church. I've trained other people uh, who have come to Emanuel Institute, and I know a lot of people who have done some witnessing, and one of their frustrations is in all their witnessing, they never personally have seen somebody that they worked with led to Christ. I want to change that, and I don't want to change that, but the Lord can change that, and I believe what I said on the platform last night, there is no reason every single one of you can't win a soul to Christ this year. There is no reason. Um, there's a statement, I'm trying to remember the exact wording, it's in Desire of Ages, and it's uh, in the chapter, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. And it goes something like this. Um, the Lord did not design that his, and she doesn't use the word design, that the plan of redemption would achieve only insignificant results. So if we are seeing insignificant results, and that means me too, it's not what the Lord intended. The Lord can do more and will do more through us if we go forward in faith. So the seminar breaks down like this. This first session we're going to talk about when evangelism doesn't work. I hear it all the time. Evangelism doesn't work. Have you heard that before? Evangelism doesn't work anymore. Sometimes we put it this way. Traditional evangelism doesn't work anymore. Have you heard those things? Okay, we're going to be addressing that. When evangelism, what is happening when evangelism isn't working? going to talk about that in this session. In our next session, how to get a Bible study. Now, if you come to this and you pay close attention, you can leave GYC with a Bible study. And I mean that. You know, for, for I want to say 80% of you, and the rest of you, you can get one shortly after GYC. Um, and you need to be in a Bible study. We're going to talk about why. Obviously, you're not going to win somebody to Christ unless you get engaged in, in studying with them. Our third session is, which lesson should I use? I've had a lot of people ask me, well, what Bible study lesson do I use? I mean, aren't our lessons outdated, the whole prophetic, you know, thing, and doctrinal, whatever, they're not relational enough, and this, that, and the other? Well, let's talk about that third session. Which lesson should I use when I'm studying with somebody? Number four, how to give a really good Bible study. I've worked, as I said, with a lot of people who, anybody can give a Bible study, 
I want to say anybody can give a really good Bible study. But to give a really good Bible study, there's a few things you need to understand. Some basic tips that we're going to give here in our fourth session, how to give a really good Bible study that gets results. Number five, our five, fifth session is how to lead people to decisions. I know a lot of people who have given studies, they've witnessed, they've shared with their friends, and, and, the, and the person, even the, the people they're studying with, they just never come over the line. They never make the decision to say, yeah, I'm going to follow the truth. Well, what's the, what's, how, do you, what's, how do you make that happen? What can you do? How do you lead people to decisions? That's number five. And the last one is kind of going to be an, uh, it's not going to be an overview, I don't want to say that. It's going to touch on things that we, we briefly touch on. You have to understand that in each session here, um, I'm covering things that I cover in hours of class period. So we don't have hours of class period. Keys to success is the last session. And we're just going to touch on things that can help to make what you're already doing even more effective. So that's an overview. And now I want to move into the Bible as I ask you to open with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now again, for those just coming in, this is Soul Winning 201. And uh, I was talking to my friend, again, Pastor DeVazier, yesterday. Um, I've been in this long enough to know that these are, these are the seminars that intimidate people because they figure if I come to that, I'm going to have to do something. And you are right. And a lot of times you get trickle-ins because the other seminars are full, and it's like, okay, let's go into this one. So you just got nabbed by the Holy Spirit of God, because he's got a work for you to do. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And this, I think, has a special application to this setting. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're looking at verse... Uh, the, the, in fact, I want to see where I want to pick up here... Um, the Apostle Paul is, is comparing the Old and New Covenants, but I want you to see specifically this example he makes in verse 12. He's talking about the glory. Well, let's just read it. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a what? Who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains up unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in, in Christ. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, in this context, the apostles using this reference of Moses going up into the mountain. How many of you read this experience where Moses goes up into the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments? And when he came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments in hand, what was on his face? His face was shining. In fact, how much was it shining? The Bible says, the apostle says he had to do what to his face? He had to put a veil over his face so that the people wouldn't be blinded and scared by the brightness of the glory of God that was still resonating from him, okay? But he said that veil had to be taken, put over Moses' face. Let me ask you this. Did Moses always wear a veil over his face? No. After a time, what happened to the glory? The glory faded away. And that's what the apostle is talking about in this passage. And what he's comparing in 2 Corinthians 3 is the difference between the law that was written in stone... And the law that through the new covenant is written on the heart. The law that is outward versus that which is inward. And I want you to think of this in terms of your whole spiritual experience. When, you know, when Moses was up in the mountain and he was around the glory of God, he came back and he was, he was full of the glory of God, but that glory faded. Now I'm going to make an application for you. I see this happen every year. I've been to a lot of GYCs. And GYC, it's like going into the mountain. You come into the mountain and you leave GYC and you're just glowing with the glory of God. But I'm going to tell you something. Unless it's internalized somehow, that glory is going to fade away. And all the seminars and all the speakers and plenary sessions and everything you do will amount to nothing in your experience if somehow it isn't practically put into your experience. And now let me make this connection and make this plain. If there's anything about Christianity, because Christianity is about following Christ, it's seeking and saving the lost. 
And I know a lot of Christians who want to have a part in every part of Christianity except for they say, well, you know, I can't witness. I'm, I'm a little uh, uncomfortable with that and I feel awkward and, and, and. But make no mistake, if we're following in the footsteps of Jesus, how can we not do what Jesus did? Was there ever a day where Jesus just let, I, I don't feel like seeking to save in the lost today. I don't feel qualified to seek and save the lost. You say, it was Jesus, he was qualified. Well, guess what? Jesus said, all authority is given me in heaven and on earth and go therefore. In other words, I'm investing you with the authority I have. And I believe that Jesus will, and I've seen it happen over and over again, Jesus will use you to reach souls for him. But you've got to internalize your Christian experience, and that means getting active in winning souls to Christ. So that's why we're here talking about evangelism. Now, it was several years ago, one of my previous churches, I remember one of my, I think it was my head deacon who came up to me at the time, talking about doing an evangelistic series. He said, Pastor, Evan hasn't evangelism gone the way of the dodo? And you know what the dodo is, the dodo bird. It's extinct. And his point, of May, his point was, you know, look, this, 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 these doing these evangelistic, these long meetings, prophecy meetings, I mean, people don't come to them anymore. People aren't interested anymore. I mean, isn't this a waste of our time and energy? Now, I want to tell you, I've been in ministry doing long 24-night prophecy meetings for the 16 years I've been in ministry, and we still get people out and they still make decisions. It happens. Now, I'm not saying there aren't some things to, to, to uh, address in that scenario, but when this elder or this uh, deacon of mine asked me, isn't it going, hasn't it gone the way of the dodo, what he's asking is, isn't it outdated and irrelevant in our secular society? Now, he's making a mistake there, which I'm going to highlight in a minute, and that is that evangelism refers simply to a meeting. Because a lot of times when we say evangelism doesn't work, what people say when, when they're saying that is they're talking about a meeting or a type of meeting, a type of evangelism, and they're talking oftentimes more about methodology. Traditional evangelism, prophecy seminars especially, don't appeal to postmodern thinking or secular culture. Now, I like what Mark Finley said once. Elder Finley, of course, he's been in evangelism for years. He's heard it, he's read the books on church growth and what have you, and he says, you know, I'm going to let him, I'm going to keep winning souls and let him keep writing books about how it doesn't work. Yeah. Now, I'm not, I'm not belittling that there are things that can be improved upon, I want to talk about that as we go on here. But I want to explore four reasons evangelism may appear to be ineffective. When evangelism doesn't work, first of all, when there is a general misunderstanding of what evangelism is. Okay, evangelism is not a meeting. That is not evangelism. That's a part of evangelism. The word gospel, anybody know what the word gospel means? Good news. What's characteristic about news? I mean, think about this for a minute. Why would the Lord take a word, the word that we call gospel, why would he take a word that means news? Yeah, because news, look, by nature, by its very nature, news is shared. Right? News is told. Not just good news, bad news. In fact, I listen to the news, you go to your news feeds, and it's all bad news. But people, I get people coming to me all the time, and like, oh, listen to what just happened. This bus exploded over here. I mean, people get excited about sharing bad news. We need to get excited about sharing good news. Well, the gospel means good news. And the word evangelism comes from the same root word. Euangelistes is a word for evangelist. The word evangelism isn't in the Bible, in the Greek. And it literally means a messenger of good news. Evangelism would be sharing the good news. Now, is sharing the good news limited to an evangelistic meeting? No. So when we're talking about evangelism, we're talking about every effort we make to share the good news. And one of the most... Uh, uh, eye-opening things I ever learned, and it's been years ago now, but I still remember first learning that evangelism, when we talk about evangelism, evangelism is not an event. Evangelism is a cycle. And what I, uh, when I learned that, I learned that evangelism, uh, it, we learned it in the context of Christ's teaching using agricultural examples. You know, Jesus talked about the sower who went out to sow. He talked about the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed that's planted and grow, grows. He talks about the, the harvest, how the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus used these harvest examples to talk about evangelism and winning souls. How many of you have ever grown anything before? 
I mean, it could have been a little plant in first grade class, and you, just to see the seed and whatever. It could have been a garden that you, that you grew. It could be, you could be gardening every year. But if you've grown anything, or even are familiar somewhat with growing things, you know that there are several stages involved in that. And those stages, because Jesus used that growth cycle to teach us about winning souls, the, the knowing the stages that growth cycle are key to us knowing how to work effectively to win souls. Now, so I'm, I'm going to quiz you, and unfortunately, like I said, I don't have this on the screen. I do have it in the handout. Uh, if you downloaded that, and if you just came in, you can go to that uh, URL and download the handout of what I'm covering right now. Now, when you're going to grow something, what's the first thing you have to do? Let me, let me, let me jumpstart it. You, once you find a place you're going to grow something, that would be key, a, a spot in the ground or in a plant or whatever, what do you got to do? What's the first thing? Okay, but you guys are already ahead of me. That's a little, I think that's a little, is that a little loud or am I just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's loud. Oh, no, it's good. Oh, it's perfect. Okay, great. So the first thing you got to do is prepare the soil. Why, why is that? Why do you prepare the soil? Okay, so it can receive the seed. Now let me ask you a question. If I'm not planting a seed, do I need to prepare the soil? Okay, hold that, hold on to that, because we're going to come back to that. So I've got to prepare the soil so I can plant the seed. So let's say I've prepared the soil, and then I go ahead and I plant some seeds. Now what begins to happen? By the power of God, the seed begins to grow, and I need to do what? Okay, I need to water it. I need to, what else do I do? You gardeners in our, in our midst, I've got to water it. I've got to fertilize it, right? I've got to what else? I heard it. Weed it. Well, I'll never forget, growing up, my mom and dad had a garden, and I, my job was to weed the garden. I hated weeding the garden. It was a very... How many of you have weeded gardens before? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. We're going to come back to that. We're going to make the application in a minute. You weed, so you water, you weed. What do we call all those things? The fertilizing, the water, the weeding. Now, I can't give it the sunlight, but it has to have sunlight to grow as well. What do you call all of those things? Okay, nurture or? Sowing is planting the seed. You're nurturing or cultivating the plant, right? Cultivating or nurturing is basically helping it to grow. Now, if you've been faithful in your soil preparing and your planting and your cultivating, what comes next? Hopefully, by God's grace, a harvest, right? You take care of the plant, it keeps growing, keeps growing, it keeps growing, finally it bears fruit, and you harvest the fruit. Are we done yet? If you've had a garden and you have harvested, one of the things I love in a garden, personally, is tomatoes. I live in Michigan. We get this little two-month window of, of getting tomatoes like off the vine out of the garden, and then the rest of the year we get these little pink things in the grocery store. They're called tomatoes. Don't taste anything like tomatoes at all. So you harvest your plant, and then what? Are you done? I've picked my tomatoes. Now what? What do I do with them? I've got to do something. I've got to eat them. I've got to freeze them or can them or something or the other, right? I've got to preserve them. And then I've got to have some seeds so I can start again next year. And the cycle continues, okay? And so that's just a, an overview of the cycle of evangelism. That, that's, the, that's the agricultural cycle, and it has to keep working in a cycle. That's how it does. And every part of that cycle is important. You can't leave a part out and expect to have success, right? I mean, you're not going to have a farmer go out and plant seed without preparing the ground. Or the seed's not going to find a place to settle. You're not going to have a farmer go out and plow up his field and then go out there every day and say, man, I don't get it. There's nothing growing out here. Well, Farmer Joe, did you plant any seeds? Uh, seeds? Right? You're not, no farmer's going to do that. We do it all the time. We have an evangelistic meeting and we say, I don't understand why there's not a harvest. Well, did you plant seeds? Huh. I think the pastor planted some seeds, right? And then we say it doesn't work. See, we say, oh, we got no, we had an evangelistic meeting, and we got nobody was baptized. That doesn't work. 
Well, let me ask you, did you prepare the soil? Did you plant the seed? Did you cultivate anything? Then what are you talking about? Can you imagine a farmer taking a combine out in the field in the fall and plowing it and saying, I got no crop out here. I'm selling all the farm equipment. Farming doesn't work anymore. It's ludicrous, right? But we do it in the church all the time. Say evangelism doesn't work. No, it works. When evangelism doesn't work, number one, is when we don't understand what evangelism is. It's a cycle of many phases. Now, let me talk about the phases for a minute. Preparing the soil, what would that be? What would be the equivalent of that in trying to win a soul to Jesus? What, what do you do before... Let me ask this. Let me back up a little bit. When Jesus told the parable of the sower, what did the seed represent? Okay, the seed represented the Word of God. Luke chapter 8, verse 3. The seed represented the Word of God. What did the soil represent where the seed was sown? The heart, the human heart, right? So how does a person prepare the heart to receive the word of God or the truth? Okay, well, introducing spiritual things is planting the seed. Okay? Yeah, you, you, you're going to get a lot further, and you've heard this before, you're going to get a lot further with somebody if you've built some kind of relationship, right? I mean, look, this world is full of kooky stuff. I've done a lot. One of the things we've done a lot with the Manual Institute is go door to door. You knock on doors and people, you know, reject you and slam the door. I had students get all upset. They say, I don't get that. They, they're so mean. It's like, look, I'd probably do the same thing in this world today. You don't know what kook's coming to your door, right? You're going to get, now, I'm going to tell you, the Lord prepares the hearts of people. And so when you go to the door and you find somebody open, that's because the Holy Spirit's been working on that heart. So we still do it, but my point is, you're going to get further with somebody you've built a relationship with. Okay, that's, you're preparing the soil of the heart. Okay, so once the, the, the soil of the heart's prepared, then you can plant the gospel seed and it may find root there. Person begins to show an interest in spiritual things. They're willing to study the Bible together. Okay, so the soil is the heart, the seed is the word of God. What would cultivation be? How, think about this carefully. How would you make the seed, the Word of God, grow in somebody's life? In that cycle of evangelism. Now think about it. You're working towards the harvest. The harvest, we're going to, let's call the harvest when they decide to commit their life to Christ. And more, maybe more specifically in this context, when they decide to commit their self, their life to Christ's church and be a part of his mission to the world. We want to see people become as part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, right? Because we need people in the church who are going to labor to push this message forward and finish the work. I saw, did I see a hand up over here? Okay. Continuing to study with them. And that, I'm, going to, I'm going to state this just for sake of time. I don't have a lot of time to deliberate it. But you process it through, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to make a point here, and it'll resonate with you if you think it out. The only way you can cultivate somebody is through Bible studies in some way or another. Nobody comes into the church without Bible studies, right? You can't commit to the truth you don't know. I've had people say, oh, we love people into the church. Well, sure, but you still got to give them studies. And you say, well, I know a guy who came into the church, he just walked off the street from seeing 3ABN. I never gave him, nobody in our church gave him studies. That's right, Pastor Doug gave him studies on 3ABN. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, the truth is what makes the change in somebody's life. And sharing that truth is what's making the word grow in the life. So you come to a point in that cycle of evangelism where the truth has to be shared and cultivated. And that's in that Bible study process. We'll talk more about that a little bit further in our seminar. What I want you to understand is this. There's a lot of emphasis today... And I'm not down on this. There's a lot of emphasis in preparing the soil. We want to do random acts of kindness. We want to warm people's heart by acts of service and what have you. That's great. But something I want you to be clear on is this. No farmer ever went out and tilled the ground just to till the ground. He had a goal in mind. He was tilling the ground for the sole purpose of planting the seed. I'm glad that you're going out and doing acts of kindness and community service and things like that and trying to do these great friend neighborhood projects to, to warm people's hearts, but you should be doing it with a purpose of planting the gospel seed. Because in the words of, of uh, the late Pastor Tony Cerigliano, if you don't 
plant the gospel seed, all you've done is, all you've accomplished is making a bunch of healthy, well-adjusted people fit for the lake of fire one day. You know, you can talk about their health and you can meet their needs, but if you don't lead them to Jesus Christ, you know, you're a disciple of Christ. And at some point, the gospel seed has to be planted. So understand that. In that agricultural process, you can't miss it. A farmer will never till without intention to sow the seed. And he's never going to sow the seed without cultivating the seed. Now, I mentioned weeding, and I asked how many of you did weeding in the garden. Let me ask you this. For those who have done some more extensive gardening, how long does it take to, to till up the, the garden plot? You know, you can say, oh, it depends on the size. of Sure, the size of, let's say it's a, let's say it's a good, let's say it's a one-acre garden plot. Is it going to take you longer than a day to till it? I guess if you're doing it by hand. If you get a rototiller, you can do that in probably a couple hours, right? No longer than a day. How long is it going to take you to plant the seeds? No longer than a day. How long is it going to take you to cultivate it? Months. Now, I want you to think about this. Cultivating, the equivalent of that is giving Bible studies. And I'm going to tell you that the most labor-intensive part of the evangelistic cycle is giving Bible studies. And I really think that's a reason why many people don't give, commit themselves to giving Bible studies. It takes a time commitment, a huge time commitment. You come to the harvest. How long does it take a farmer to harvest his field? It doesn't take as long as it does to cultivate it, right? Nothing takes as much time as a cultivation process. And I believe that that cultivation process is what we need the most. And I believe that the Lord wants to use you in, not just in that, you've got to, you've, we've got to have all, this, all the stages of the cycle of evangelism, all those phases have to be in place. Uh, and I'll talk more about that as we go. The only point I'd make here is when evangelism doesn't work, Number one, when there's a general misunderstanding of how, what evangelism is. Evangelism is not an event, it's a cycle. And you can't expect an event like an evangelistic meeting, which is a harvest, to bring some great number of souls if you haven't done the other work. And so let's not badmouth evangelism when we haven't been preparing the soil right, when we haven't been sowing the seeds, when we haven't been cultivating, Right? If there's not a harvest, let's look to those other things. And we need to also ask ourselves this when we're involved in sharing with others, which phase of the cycle of evangelism am I working in? Because I don't care if somebody wants to do a whole lot of um, healthy cooking schools, for example, things like that. But make sure that somewhere in that mix, you're doing the other phases. Or if you've got people in your church that are all doing that, make sure somebody in your church is doing the other. Otherwise, you're not going to see evangelistic success. Okay, so reason number one, when evangelism doesn't work, when there's a general misunderstanding of what evangelism is. Reason number two, when evangelism doesn't work, is when people have unrealistic expectations of what it means to work. And I want you to take your Bibles and go to uh, Galatians chapter 6 with me. I want to tell you that a lot of people have really um, distorted ideas of what success is in evangelism. Let me ask you this question. If my church holds an evangelistic seminar and nobody is baptized, was that meeting a failure? Let me ask you this question. How many people were baptized at the end of Jesus' three-and-a-half-year campaign? Where were all the baptisms? On Pentecost, right? Peter gets all the credit. But the point is, sometimes we look at something, how many times, look at the rich young ruler, was that a success or a failure? Rich young ruler went away sorrowful. The book Desire of Ages says, forever after the world was going to receive that young man's worship. Was that a failure or a success? See, the way we gauge and weigh out successes is not the way God does. And we've got to be careful. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, notice this. Now Paul's talking about character, but he's talking about sowing and reaping. And this applies to our evangelistic efforts as well. Verse number 9 says, And let us not grow what? Weary while doing good. Why would you tell somebody not to get tired of doing something? Would you tell somebody not to get worn out doing something that you can't get worn out doing? No. You may, hey, don't get worn out going out and having a good time. No, I'm not. This is great. I love this. You're going to tell somebody not to get weary of doing something that you know there's a tendency for them to get weary doing. So right away, the apostle knows that when you're laboring, 
there's a chance to get weary. Don't grow weary while doing good. Notice the next part. For in what? My Bible says in due season. Okay, now I have to li listen to this carefully. Due season is speaking about a, 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 spe a specific time. Well, let me put it this way. Let me do the reverse of that. There's one time due season is not speaking about. And when is that? When somebody says in due season, when isn't due season? Now. now right? When do we want our results? Now. I had a meeting and nobody's making their decision. Hey, in due season you might reap. What's it say in the Bible? You shall reap. Look, in due season you shall reap. You will reap. There will be a harvest. But it's not going to be in your time, God says. It's going to be in my time. We can't say something doesn't work because it doesn't happen on my timetable. And a lot of people have a faulty expectation of how evangelism is supposed to work. You know, my brother made a point once I thought was a great... How many baseball... How many of you know baseball in here? I don't... You know, may not be a fan of it, but you know how baseball works. Okay? You know, you run around the bases and, and, and you want to get runs into the home plate. And when you play... How many of you played baseball? How many of you, when you play baseball and you're up for bat, are swinging for the fence? You know what I mean by that? See, if you, if you in, a, in, a, in a baseball game, in, in your professional fields, there's a fence. And if you hit the ball over the fence, it's an automatic home run. You automatically get a run. Otherwise, you get a run around the base. But home run, well, you still run around the bases. But, and so a lot of people, at least a lot of guys I know, when you get up, you're swinging for the fence. Man, you want, you want that home run. But the reality is this. The games are never won on home runs, because that's only one run. The games are run by the, won by the people who get on first base and second base, and then when the batter comes up, and bat, you can get singles a whole baseball game and beat a team that gets home runs, because you're running the guys, everybody comes in. Now, it would be the same if everybody got a home run, but that doesn't happen. Rarely do people get home runs, and oftentimes when people try to get home runs, they strike out. Now, what's the point? The point is this. In evangelism, the game, the game is won on singles, not home runs. A lot of us want home runs. We want some big event. We're going to do this big event and get lots of souls. I just last weekend baptized a girl from China. I didn't even study with her. My brother studied with her. He's not a pastor. He lives in Columbus, Ohio. He, his wife is Chinese, and so they, he's... He's not a student now. He just graduated from Ohio State University um, with a second degree. And, and he'd be, he and his wife will connect with the Chinese students there who are over as exchange students and start studying with them. My brother is not a, I don't think he holds a single office in his church. Just one guy studying with, he and his wife studying with this lady, and we just baptized her. And I want to tell you, that's how the game is won. We get much further. If we sit around and we wait for the Mark Finleys, we're going to, oh, he's going to have this big meeting. It won't be nearly what we could see if each one of us went out and got active. In fact, in my church, in Cedar Lake Church, I went into that church. Uh, the pastor that was there at that church had me come in and do some training. It had Emanuel Institute come in and train the church members on how to give Bible studies. Okay? Right? In fact, he scheduled us to come in and do the training, and then he ended up getting called to another place. So the church was without a pastor when we got there. We did our training. It was just a 10-day training. The church members got active in giving Bible studies. I had no idea, the church had no idea, that the conference was going to end up moving me to that church as the pastor of that church six months later. By the end of the year, we had had 17 baptisms just from lay members giving Bible studies. Okay? I mean, the game is not won on home runs. It's won on singles. We get this expectation. We want this big event. We think, I'm just one person. What can I do? You can win a soul to Christ. And if everybody did that, and you truly won them to Christ, they'd be inspired to win somebody to Christ, and you'd see the work explode. We shall reap. When? In due time. If, he says, we do not lose heart. I'm going to tell you something. The devil knows that the only way he can stop you from being successful in the work of God is to discourage you. Did you know that? You're sitting here now thinking, you know, I've never, some of you are thinking, I've never even given a Bible. I don't even know where I'd start. I don't know what I would do. 
One of my favorite statements is found in the book Education by Ellen White. I'm going to share it later, but it, it's, uh, I can't give you the page number. It's in a chapter called The Life Work. And it says, it is in the water and not on land that men learn to swim. I can talk to you all day long about what to do. When you move your arms like this and you do this and do that, there's nothing like getting in the water. And she says that in the context of winning souls. You know how you win? You dive into the water. The first Bible studies I ever gave, man, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And yet, people were won to Christ. Because it's not about you, it's about Him. He'll work through you. You will reap in due season if you don't lose heart. Trust in Jesus and work in your circle of influence. There are souls right now that Jesus is preparing for you to win to Him. So reason number two that people, we don't find the, the success. When evangelism doesn't work is when people have unrealistic expectations of what it means to work. Who was I just talking to here? Chad Cruiser is doing the meeting down the, down the hall on creation and evolution. Uh, he was one of my church members way back. He, uh, we got together um, 2006. And I had him preach the evangelistic series in my church that year, full series. His family, his whole family except himself, is Christian reform background in the Grand Rapids area. His grandma has been down on Adventists for years. He said just over the holidays this year, somebody had given his uh, grandma the book, The Hero of Hacksaw Ridge, you know, the Adventist thing, on the, and she read it, and it's got the Adventist beliefs in the back, and she's gone through it. And all of a sudden, she's warming up to it. She said, well, he said one weekend, she said, happy Sabbath to him. It's blew him away. It's been 10 years. She came to one of those nights, one night, and we had our series. Down, death on Adventism, ever, you know, ever since. And now, 10 years later, he's seeing some awakening there. Now, somebody could have looked at her coming one night and going home in 2006 and said, what a failure. But God uses all those little steps in a person's experience. How many of you have ever seen the book... Let's see what my time is here. How many of you have ever seen the little booklet? Uh, Amazing Facts puts it out. You can find it online by other people, too, uh, called the, Dr uh, the Drummer Boy's Prayer. You ever see that? Okay, some of you have. Maybe it's because I, I... I'm telling you, I go places... Okay, I'll admit it. First time I, I saw this book... In fact, Amazing Facts has this little booklet. There's this Drummer Boy in the front, and I'm like, this looks boring. That's, I mean, that was my... I'm just being honest with you. One of the most powerful things I've ever read... It's a true story written by a, 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 an Orthodox Jew named M.L. Ross Valley that was converted to Christianity. I mean, you can get it online. Look it up. Drummer Boy's Prayer, and you can read it. I mean, I can't read that to this day. And I, no matter how hard I try, I read that book, and I bawl. It's just so powerful what happened in that man's life. But one of the most, the reason I bring it up when I'm talking about evangelism is that in his story, he talks about all the different people God used to bring him to Christ. People who won't know what their influence is until the day Jesus comes again and they're in heaven together and he's there and he's like, hey, you know why I'm here? You told me about Christ. He was in a barber shop and he said the barber just loved Jesus and wouldn't shut up about him. That barber has no idea that man ended up giving his life to Christ. And so in due season you shall reap if you don't lose heart. Reason number three, when evangelism doesn't work, when there is no personal labor for souls. You've got to understand that the Lord intended not just for the big pastors to do the work. The Bible says about Jesus that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why was that important? Why was it important that Jesus be... God just could have thundered from heaven. Why was it important that Jesus become flesh? Because it made the gospel tangible to people. You know that the purpose and the intention of Jesus is to become flesh in your life? That you are to become like Christ to those around you so they can see what, the, what Christianity can do in a person's life? There are people that you can reach that I can never reach. You say, you're a pastor. You've got experience. You know this stuff. Forget about it. There are people that I can never reach in this world that God has put you in a unique place to reach them. I remember a church member of mine coming up one day. He's like, Pastor, this neighbor moved in down the road, and what a coincidence. He's into bikes, motorcycles, just like I am. Yeah, what a coincidence. 
The Bible says in Acts chapter 17 that God has preordained the time we're going to live and the place we're going to live. You're not in your neighborhood by accident. You're not in your job by accident. You don't have your coworkers by accident. Personal labor for souls is the most important work that can be done. I want you to listen to this statement from Christian Service, page 121. It says here, your work may accomplish more real good than the more extensive meetings. What do you think she means by extensive meeting? That's a big, long evangelistic meeting, right? You got all these nights and this powerful evangelist preaching all these messages. Listen to this. Your work may accomplish more real good than the more extensive meetings if they, the more extensive meetings, lack in personal effort. When both are combined, now what would both be? The extensive meeting and the personal effort. When both are combined with the blessing of God, a more perfect and thorough work may be wrought. So that's God's intention, that you have the big meetings and the personal work all going together. That's, that makes sense. That's going out and planting the seed and cultivating the seed, and then the big meeting is the big combine that comes through and harvest. Not that you need the combine to harvest, but... I've got to find my place here. Now listen to the next part of this. I want to tell you, I've, I've shared this statement for, with people for over 15 years at least. And it still, in many places, hasn't changed. We're like, oh, let me read it to you. You'll be like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And then we keep doing things the same way. But if we can have but one part done, so what are our two parts? The extensive meaning, the evangelistic meaning, and the personal labor. If we can have but one part done, let it be, what do you think it is? The individual labor of opening the scriptures in households. Now, I, I want you to take note of the language. So this isn't just giving a glow track. I'm all about giving glow tracks. Don't get me wrong here. But at some point, you've got to cultivate. At some point, you've got to open the Bible with somebody and explain the Bible to somebody. The personal Individual, rather, labor of opening the scriptures in households, making personal appeals, and talking familiarly with the members of the family. That means you know them. You're building those relationships. Not about things of little importance. Hey, how's the weather? Love your car, whatever else. Not about things of, of little importance. I mean, obviously, when you're building your relationship with your neighbor, you're talking about commonplace things. But the point is, there's got to come a time where you're getting more talking about eternal things. And that's why she's saying it this way. So I'm going to back up. Let it be the individual labor of opening the scriptures in households, making personal appeals, and talking familiarly with the members of the family, not about things of little importance, but of the great themes of redemption. If there's one part to be done, I've shared that, and people are like, oh, yeah. And then what do we do? As churches, we just keep on going on. We don't do the individual labor for souls for whatever reason, too busy with work, too busy with school, whatever. We let the big evangelists do it, and then we wonder why we don't have results. Now, we can't keep cursing the results when we're not following the directions, right? Can't, can't complain that the recipe didn't come out when you didn't follow it. Isn't that right? Listen to this next statement. That's from Christian Service 121. This next one's from Christian Service, page 68. It says, Ministers may preach pleasing and forcible discourses, and much labor may be put forth to build up and make the church prosperous, but unless its individual members shall act their part as servants of Jesus Christ, the church will ever be in darkness and without strength. Reason number three, evangelism doesn't work. Personal labor is not happening. The reason evangelism doesn't work, I often say, is because we don't work. Jesus has called every one of us. That commission, and we're, we're in fact, we're told this in Desire of Ages, the great commission is given to every one of us, not just to the 12 disciples. And Ellen White says we make a fatal mistake when we leave that work upon the ministers. Fatal in a couple ways. A one major way is that, that that work of reaching out to win souls helps us grow just like it helps them grow. I'll share that in our next session. Reason number, I added one, reason number four 
When the members of the church have no spiritual interest, I'm looking for Pastor, Dan Pastor Daniel's gone. He was back there for a minute. I shared this. I'm going to share something with you. It's going to curl your toenails, okay? This is a quote you probably haven't heard. Have you ever heard Ellen White talk about the prayer meeting being as the pulse to the body? You ever heard that? I asked my, pa my assistant pastor. I said, have you heard that? He said, yeah. I read the statement to him. He's like, whoa. He said, I never heard that. And he went and told his wife and told everybody else. This one's going to curl your toenails. I'm going to tell you right now. But it's an important statement that I think we've overlooked. And it's not talking, I don't want to just narrow it down to prayer meeting. You'll get in the statement. One of the reasons evangelism doesn't work or when evangelism doesn't work is when the members of the church have no spiritual interest. The statement is found in pamphlet 152. It's also pamphlet 149, and it's, both of them have the same account. It's called The Importance of Religious Services. Listen to what is said here by the servant of the Lord. The preached word will be powerless for the conviction and conversion of souls while a sleepy, lazy, and backslidden church are all that are left to sustain the efforts of the laborers. Now, get what's being said right away. All the preaching in the world isn't going to re revive the people if the church itself is sleepy, lazy, and backslidden. Well, what qualifies that? The efforts of Christ's ambassadors, and as she's speaking about those who would go out and preach, will be successful only when sustained by an earnest, praying, working people. Prayer meetings are neglected, while concerts, singing schools, and various entertainments are faithfully patronized. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'll be more honest with you here than I can be in my own church because you get people be so upset in the conference and be moving me on here, there, and the other. Not that I still don't say things, but you have to understand. The, when, when I say it to you, you can be like, well, he doesn't know my practice. But when I say it in my church, they're like, he knows and he's talking to me. So I get away with it a little bit more here. But let me tell you something. I'm in a community. we got an Adventist academy. It doesn't matter. Every church I've been in, you get a concert. you got the kids doing something for it. Everybody comes out. You've got a big game, everybody comes out. You've got social night, everybody comes out. You've got prayer meeting, six people come out. If that much. Now, I'm telling you something. We've got to, I shouldn't have to tell anybody this. We ought to be able to say there's something wrong here when our priorities say, and she goes on to say, well, I'm just going to keep reading it. Prayer meetings are neglected while concerts, singing schools, and various entertainments are faithfully patronized. It's only a prayer meeting is often repeated by church members. I cannot call them Christians. Exciting popular lectures will interest the church members and call them out when prayer meeting has no attraction for them. This reveals the true spiritual condition of the church. God is not pleased with this state of things. Spiritual and eternal things are not appreciated while temporal matters are exalted above things of eternal interest. A prayer meeting will always tell the true interest of the church members in spiritual and eternal things. The prayer meeting is as the pulse to the body. It denotes the true spiritual condition of the church. A lifeless, backslidden church has no relish for the prayer meetings. Young men and women of no depth of religious experience who are vain and proud and frivolous can feel no satisfaction in engaging in religious exercises. They prefer to pass the time in flirtations or reading novels or in other ways of pleasing and gratifying the feelings of the natural heart. She says, when this is the case of the church, your evangelism, all you try to do is going to be meager. Pre and I'm going to read that first sentence again. The preached word will be powerless for the conviction and conversion of souls while sleepy, lazy, backslidden church are all that are left to sustain the efforts of the laborers. I mean, we've got to come to terms with that. We need revival. We all need revival. I need revival. We need the Lord to put in our hearts a more of a love for spiritual things. That's, evangelism has to be, it's an all-in thing. It's got to be everybody. You can't have one excited person in the church. We've all got to be excited about the truth. When you see the growth in the early church, that's because they were all on fire about the truth. And they were sharing what they were excited about. Reason number five, last reason I'm going to give you, when evangelism doesn't work is when the message is overshadowed by the method. Okay? Listen, folks. There is no... This is, it, 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 it hits me harder every time I, I preach an evangelistic series. When I'm talking about the uniqueness of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we're studying through prophecy. I'm going through Revelation 14. And I don't know how... I guess maybe I'm more aware of this than maybe... And, and maybe not, than you are... In sharing, you know, when I preach an evangelistic series, I'm talking about the remnant church. If you've never given a study on the remnant church, 
Even the word is a bad word today in our church. It's like we're arrogant, we're bigoted, we tell her, we say we're the only ones going to be saved. That's not what remnant means. Okay? That's not, we've never taught that as a, as a church. I read articles and it's like, where we call ourselves the remnant. And we think, all that means is we believe we're the Revelation 12, 17 church. You know, you know what else we call ourselves? Laodicea. So we have the double honor, right? Remnant and Laodicea. So it's not a boasting thing, but look, here's the thing. When I go through that and I preach that and I'm looking at Revelation 12 and you've got those at the end of time, the church at the end of time who keeps the commandments of God, has the testimony of Jesus Christ, and not inherently in Revelation 12, but in Revelation 14, preaches the three angels' messages. Folks, there is no other church on earth that preaches the three angels' messages of Revelation 14. Now, why would that be? Look, they have the Bible. They can preach it a different way. They can say, I don't believe what the Adventists say about it. I believe this about it. Fine, but you know what? They don't. You might have a hither and yon prophecy teacher somewhere, but there is no church that preaches Revelation 14. Why? Because God entrusted it to us. And it is the message that is to shake and move the world. And when we downplay that message, and that's what often happens. We talk about evangelism not working and we, the big prophecy meetings and all this uniqueness and everything else. What happens is we end up whittling away everything distinctive and then we say, well, we're just going to preach Jesus to them. Well, we do preach Jesus to them in the context of the message he gave us to give in Revelation. And if we preach Jesus like the other churches, it's not going to move the people. Listen to it here. This is the last thing I want to close with in, in, in Revelation. Well, there's two statements. This is found in Manuscript Releases, Volume 19, page, page 41. And this is powerful. Incidentally, before I read this, you know in Matthew 24 where Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world for witness unto all the nations, and then the end will come? That is a prophecy that we find the fulfillment of in Revelation 14. Right? This gospel in all the world is a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. You go to Revelation 14, and what do you find? I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to proclaim to who? Every nation, kid, and all the nations. And then you go a little bit further, and it says, I saw one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with a sharp sickle in his hand. The end is coming. Revelation 14 is telling us that's the gospel Jesus predicted must be preached. You can't be preaching the gospel in the last days without preaching the three angels' messages. So you can't say, well, let Billy Graham finish it, or let somebody else finish it. not going to happen. We have a message that, 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 that is essential to be preached. Now I'm reading, Manuscript Releases 19, page 41. The light that Christ revealed to his servant, the prophet, she's speaking about John, the revelator, is for us. In his revelation are given the three angels' messages and a description of the angel that was to come down from heaven with great power, lightening the earth with his glory. In it are warnings against the wickedness that would exist in the last days and against the mark of the beast. We are not only to read and understand this message, but to proclaim it with no uncertain sound to the world. Now listen to this next part. The usual subjects on which the ministers of nearly all other denominations dwell will not move them. I'm going to read it again. The usual subjects on which the ministers of nearly all other denominations dwell will not move them. We must proclaim our God-given message to them. If Seventh-day Adventists want to start preaching the, the evangelical gospel, it's not going to move the people. That's what God is telling us who through his prophets saw the end of time and said this is what you need to preach. The three angels are calculated for this day and age. We must proclaim our God-given message to them. The world is to be warned by the proclamation of this message. If we blanket it, if we hide our light under a bushel, if we so circumscribe ourselves that we cannot reach the people, we are answerable to God for our failure to warn the world. I'm going to tell you our evangelistic efforts are not going to have the success that we want to see if we're not preaching the message Jesus gave us to give. You can't weed out the prophecies out of the, the, the Bible studies. Last statement from Testimonies, Volume 9, page 19, says, In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angels' messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. 
So in summary, evangelism doesn't work when we don't work. You've got to understand what God means when he's talking about evangelism. And it's not an event, it's a cycle. And it's built on a message. And without the message, you don't have the evangelism. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.